THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 534 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. Nerds, my name is Matt Bob, And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we're reviewing a bunch of Wednesday, June 26th, new comics with spotlight reviews of Crow Hack Slash number one. That's really? right. It's a light week. <laughs> and Luna, number one. After that, we'll review eight more of this week's comics while a group of American robot mercenaries head to Iran during the ludicrous speed round. Then it's down to the THN Sanctum's home tour, where we're giving Vertigo a Viking funeral. But we discuss our must-read picks for next week. And finally, we talked about Love and Rockets a little too much last week. So the official THN historian, Jason Sachs, is back to lay out the definitive history of Love and Rockets. It's all happening in this Midsummer's Eve episode. But first, we better talk about this week's Nerd Out! Nerd Out! Hey, get ready. Battle Chasers writer-artist Joe Madureira says that work on the long-delayed continuation of the series is still in development. Uh-huh. But he has decided to enlist others to help him draw upcoming issues. Oh, really? Yeah. Here's a quote. Realistically, the only way to get the books finished and into your hands anytime soon is to recruit some highly talented individuals to help out. Because you're so busy making so many other comics? He runs a video game studio. Oh, please. Uh, I'll still be working on the story, of course, and drawing as many pages as I can manage. One of the reasons I haven't let anyone take over this series in the last 20 years is because I always felt that if it were to continue... It had to be me. Oh, I'm sure there's a lot of creators that were beating this door down, right? <laughs> Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman. Like, Please, Joe Medaruria. Hey, look, both of those guys wrote issues of Spawn, so don't act like they're too proud. Back in 2015, Joe Mad ran a Kickstarter campaign to fund development of the successful platform game Battle Chasers Night War. And those who backed with $100 were promised digital issues of the upcoming Battle Chasers 10, 11, and 12 which were expected to be released in December of 2016. Yeah, we reviewed them. They were great, remember? Yeah. They all came out. Wow. It was great. Everybody was happy. Wrong! Yeah, so he <laughs> runs a game studio called Airship Syndicate, and I guess it takes up all his time. Oh, please. Uh, issues 10 through 12 will pick up exactly where the last issue left off in 2001. Uh, and we'll focus on Garrison, his past, and his complicated relationship with the fugitive and busty Red Monica. There's exactly one person that cares about this. Uh, Willie Toots. Willie Toots. Yeah, That's yeah, it. Yeah. That's it. Uh, so now, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Joe Mad's art the main draw for Battle Chasers? No, I'm sure it was the gripping story. <laughs> it was the adult situations that Red Monica's chest caused everywhere she went. <laughs> it's like, oops. Yeah, good God. Do we even need to talk about this? One, not going to happen. I'm predicting doesn't come out. Two, don't care. Do not care. I mean, I'll look at them, but... Good Lord. Yeah, it, like, this thing that's 20 years overdue is finally coming out sometime in the next 20 years. Yeah, it's like every once no in a thanks. while, like, Joe Mad goes into his office and, like, trips over something. Oh, what's that? My old Battle Chaser sketches. I remember this. <laughs> you know, it's like... It's like a kid going through his old notebooks and finding superheroes he drew or something, and he thinks we still care. Nobody cares. 
Let's talk about something. Let's talk about something people do care about. All right, Red. Looks like it's just me and uh, uh, figures. Yo, Patrick. The final story from the Vertigo desk. It's official. Vertigo is dead. DC plans to eliminate its various publishing imprints in January 2020 in favor of a new age-specific labeling across mm. the DC publishing line. Age-specific? My three, favorite kind. The three age labels are DC Kids, DC, and DC Black Label. The storied Vertigo line, which was DC's yeah. first separate imprint when launched in 1993, will be sunsetted. Which is DC's term. Sunset by the end of the year. That's a nice way for taking out. It's a nice way to say taking out back and, and shot. In the head. <laughs> With no new titles expected to be announced in the interim. Here's a quote from CCO, or pardon me, DC's creative. We don't even know what Officer, their titles are anymore. Co-publisher. I don't know. He's a co-publisher. What we've done here is apply an ages and stages organizing philosophy that will strengthen what we're already doing well, whether it is our move into young adult and middle grade audience or our long track record of success with creator-driven pop-up lines. That sentence doesn't mean anything. DC Kids <laughs> is aimed at readers 8 to 12, would seemingly incorporate the Zoom and Ink titles. No, as well? Ink is the... Um, Ink is a young adult. Oh, gotcha. And some cartoon-based titles, such as long-running, such as the long-running Looney Tunes title. That kind of material is now mainstream across... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. We don't need that. The central DC age label would be intended for those aged 13 and up and largely continue the core DC superhero titles DC is known for, but also the DC Zoom title. I think Ink. I think that was a misprint because Zoom is the kid's one. Okay, Ink yeah. was the young... I think that's his title. I wasn't even aware of this shit. What is Zoom and Ink? We talked about this. Yes, that's, they, they launched a, 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 an all-ages line that had DC Zoom, which was like the kid's stuff, DC Ink, which was like the Mira graphic novel, uh, the oh. Super Sons books. They're like young adult. But Mira was a like, novel. It wasn't even a graphic novel. It was, it was like a, a graphic novel, actually. Full... I was wrong about oh, that. Was yeah, it? it was a graphic novel. Oh. <clears throat> they just released a Catwoman one about like young Selena Kyle that was really good, apparently. Oh, okay. DC Black. But they're doing a shit job marketing them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. DC Black label will continue, but as an age label as opposed to an imprint. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know. And would contain its more mature material for readers 17 and older. Any already announced Black label titles would presumably continue under this label as reprints of older work already announced to be added in such as Watchmen, The Dark Knight Returns, Kingdom Come, which is not an adult story. No, but it's like an out-of-continuity kind of... So this is out-of-continuity and adult? Is what's going on here? It, yeah. It... Okay, so this is the, this is the like, the evergreen thing that you keep bringing up. Black Ugh. Label is, like, the not necessarily continuity-heavy or mature readers stuff. It's kind of a catch-all for both of those things. Okay, so pop-ups <clears throat> such as Young Animal, The Sandman Universe, which is a pop-up now, Wonder Comics, Wildstorm, Jinx World, and Milestone will continue, but it's unclear what age label they or the long-running Mad Magazine would fall under or the nomenclature of the pop-ups themselves. This what are is, we talking about? I don't know. I, <laughs> I have no idea what any of this means. All right, so, all right. Let, we don't... Uh, so here's the thing from DiDio. We're returning to a singular presentation of the DC brand. Right. Which was present throughout most of our history until 93 when we launched Vertigo. I get that. Except you're not. No. You still have three labels. Yes. 
<laughs> so, all right. We're presenting a unified vision of DC's brand, but these books will still have a black label logo on them. Right. What does that mean? So it's an imprint. Uh, don't, don't tell me it's not an imprint. Right. It's an imprint. It is an imprint. There's yeah. no question. And you've got, uh, so DC Kids, it's, I presume, will have a logo. So here's what, okay, yes, obviously. The kids' books are going to be the kids' books, and we'll be able to figure that out. DC will be DC. What is black label? Is it adult shit? Or is it just Elseworld stuff? Or is it both? It's Do both. I, go I just there? told you that. It's both. Do I go there? The to story s- says it, it's both. It says it right so here. So I go the there to see Batman's dick and Kingdom Come. Yes. Got it. Okay. But Batman's dick does not star in Kingdom Come. No. No. His dick's probably broken because he's got to wear that armor. What? He's all, he's all paralyzed. He's got to wear that armor around. Oh, in Kingdom Come yeah, when he's in an old guy. Come, okay, yeah. so gotcha. His dick gotcha. probably don't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to see that. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I get it. Clearly defined... Sure. Age brackets. Fine, I get it. But all this doublespeak about what's an imprint and what's not an imprint, who gives a shit? Not to mention it takes a crap on the whole clearly defined. It's not clearly <laughs> <No>. defined. <laughs> uh, I mean, the takeaway here is that Vertigo is, is going away, which is a bummer. It we, is. But we, we all know it hasn't been what it used to be. No. But it changed comics, and it provided it careers it for did. a lot of talented creators that are stars now. No doubt. And it... <laughs> It's kind of sad to see that go away. It's also a creature of its time, and its time has probably passed. And I get that. I guess age labeling this stuff makes sense. It's a good thing. Like, so it's clearly defined. But it's not necessarily age labeling if black label is for adults and it's Elseworld stuff that kids can read too. Sure, right. Yeah. That's what I don't get. Yeah, exactly right. Like, what if a kid wants to read Kingdom Come? Right. I would have no hesitation giving a no. Kingdom Come to a kid, yeah, but so, it's going to have a black label so on it. So what have we done? Is it's it like, going to be labeled for mature readers? Right. It's like, oh, it's rated R, but there's really nothing wrong with it. You know, nothing bad happens. <laughs> I mean, I, it's silly. It's silly, and I don't understand the, the moves that they're making. Like, I, on the one hand, a part of it I get. The rest of it, it's just like, quit it. Right. Quit it. Right. Stay gold, pony boy. Stay gold. The big news this week from the J.J. Abrams desk. J.J. Abrams and his son Henry are writing a new Spider-Man title scheduled to debut this September. Matt, you want to guess what the title of the book is? Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man, yeah. Yeah. This is a five-issue series drawn by Sarah Pacelli and colored by Dave Stewart. That's neat. With a first issue covered by Olivier Coipel and Stewart. Here's a quote from J.J. Abrams. Yeah. We have written a Spider-Man comic. <laughs> End quote. Okay, then. No. Uh, so they, they posted, there was a series of teasers this week counting down. It was like a spider's web in the shape of numbers. Right. And the first one, they started with four, which was a huge mistake because everyone automatically made assumptions about what it was. Right. Like a Fantastic Four crossover. People were like, is this Sam Raimi Spider-Man 4? No. Yeah. And what the fuck? Speaking of which, <laughs> no one wants that. Right. Um, so, yeah, they counted down through the week, and Thursday they announced this, this Spider-Man comic by J.J. Abrams. Which apparently we were clamoring for. Clamoring for, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marvel, I don't remember Marvel clamoring. was clamoring for it. Okay. Apparently they've been after J.J. Abrams for years. For the record, we did not clamor. We didn't clamor, no. no I don't no want, want J.J. Abrams to write comics. Uh, and when I say it's going to be by J.J. Abrams, I'm putting by in air quotes because right. I don't know how much actual work he's going to do in this book. Yeah. They're just going to put his name on it to sell comics. Uh, here's more of the quote. I've been talking to Marvel for a long time about doing this. I'm really excited. And there's a crazy new villain named Cadaverous. Ooh. Yes. Ooh, that's bad. Terrible name. Here's the full solicit. 
Spider-Man number one from Marvel, written by J.J. and Henry Abrams, art by Sarah Pacelli. 72 pages for $4.99? Uh, I'll bet that changes. That might not be accurate. I bet that goes up. <laughs> Here is... Oh, I already said that. Who is Cadaverous? The most shocking and incredible comic of 2019 is here. Good <laughs> Okay. As J.J. blah, blah, blah. Or blah, blah, blah. What do they have planned for Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson? Who is Cadaverous? You already asked that once. The modern master of mystery. <laughs> Makes his Marvel this September. So they don't know what it's about either. All they yeah, know no, is the bad guy's it's, name. Yeah, they, we, got, we got a name. His name we is Cadaverous. We know the bad guy's name. Got it. Um, who is, nobody is excited about this, like except for Henry. Right. Henry is like super pumped and no, good for him. Good for Hank. I mean, he's working. He's young, uh, you know. The internet seems pretty pissed about it, actually. Like, Why? I, I, here's the thing. I don't understand the reaction either way. You know what I mean? I, like, I, I get it. I'm so, not like, oh my God, J.J. Abrams. And I'm not like, fuck you, J.J. Abrams. It's not about J.J. <laughs> Abrams specifically. It's about the idea that, that there are hundreds of hardworking creators that are busting their asses just to get a shot in the sure. comics industry. Sure. And this rich kid just gets handed a Spider-Man comic well, because his daddy's famous. Come on. Uh, and I get that. I get that. But that's how Jared Kushner got his job. Sure. You know, this is America, yeah, baby. On the other hand, like Marvel was after J.J. Abrams. Of course. And if J.J. Abrams was like, I want my kid in on this because right. he's excited about it. And J.J.'s working for Disney, for so he's right down the hall. I can't really fault him for no. wanting to involve his kid. No. And the kid is super pumped. It's kind of cute. Right. But That's I don't, like the whole, like, you're coming over here to steal our jobs. No. no get no. out of here. It, they made a special Spider-Man book just for them. It's not like they were like, well... We were going to give you the new Spider-Man book, upcoming plucky creator. <laughs> but sorry, Donnie Cates, we gave JJ Guardians of the Galaxy. This adorable little Hank Abrams over here with his glasses <laughs> and his plaid shirt. We couldn't say no. Uh, I don't know. I just this whole the whole story just gives me like a big old shrug. Yeah, I, I just don't, don't. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Even the cover is weird. Yeah. And, and Cadaverous is really a great artist. Cadaverous cover is isn't even a good name for like a finished death metal band. That's bad. <laughs> It's just dumb. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, hello, we are cadavers. <laughs> Please enjoy. That's your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while watching the ladies' U.S. World Cup team humiliate everyone in their path while getting paid three-fourths of what our terrible men's team makes. It's true. <laughs> so hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover Live every Saturday, where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 11.30 to 12.30 Central Standard Time. It's like AM Talk Radio, but for nerds, and without all the summer camp versus concentration camp discussion. They're concentration camps. They're absolutely concentration camps. So call us at 402-819-4894 or click the Call Now button on the Facebook page. And if you can't be there live, leave a message or send an MP3 to 2 nerd at gmail.com. Or come see us live this weekend at O Comic Con just across the river. It's actually in Council Bluffs, but we call it the Omaha Comic Con. We will be there recording live somewhere from the show floor, I promise. And if it does end up that we are on a loading dock, we'll let you know which one. It is spotlight review time in the Ziggurat, where we roll up two of this week's new comics, carefully pack them with gunpowder, add a fuse, and then blow them both to hell! Joe! Joe, don't point that thing at me if you're going to review it, okay? You are going to use up all your 4th of July metaphors before we even get there, buddy. Bullshit, dude. <laughs> this week, I'm reviewing Luna number one of two from Zoptic. Written and lettered by Danny, and I'm real sorry about this, Danny, but I'm going to say it's Jelosevic. Sure. 
Yeah. 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 He got a hockey name. Yeah. Hockey name. Uh, art by Mike Prezzato. Prezzato? Prezzato? Prezzato. Yeah. He's got an Italian hockey name. Yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, it's a number of pages. I didn't count them. And you can get it for as little as $1 per month on Patreon. Oh, damn. Yeah. Here's your solicit. There ain't one. Luna tells the tale of Luna, a video store clerk that inherits the curse of the Knight of Moons from her dying friend, Leon Spector. Now clad in an all-white hooded suit, Luna has been saddled with strange powers that wax and wane with the phases of the moon. Sound familiar? Just like you. That's yes, I, <laughs> it's the story of your life. Yeah. That's because Luna is an homage not just to the very obvious Moon Knight, but also to a dozen other classic Marvel oh. and DC supernatural characters okay. from the 70s okay. and 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That too. Yeah. All right. Sorry. <laughs> You've got your Doctor Strange stand-in, Anton Zorn, Mobius Le Vampire, who speaks French and looks like Mobius the Artist, plus analogs of Etrigan and the Demon, Ghost Rider, Swamp Thing, and more. Jelosevic's script is smart and self-aware, and there's just the right amount of soul pain in the dialogue when the story calls for it. Nick Prezada's art leaps right off the page. Now, it might look simplistic at first glance, but he puts a stylized spin on the classic 70s superhero style. It's told in very, like, traditional grid format, but then you'll have a panel where a character's, like, kind of exploding out of it. You know, it's, he, he, he plays with the format. He knows sure. the rules. Sure. He breaks them. There's a grainy wash over his bold pastel color palette that really sells the old newsprint feel. It's gritty. The issue closes out with a great Marvel handbook-style page and a fantastic pinup by Jason Mattacini. That's not a hockey name. He's probably a famous chef or something. Oh, that's racist. Wow. Why? Yeah. Not that's all, all Italian people can do, right? No. Cook. Maybe Cook he's a polo. Fat, Maybe right? he's a polo player. How's that? <laughs> yeah, he's a polo player. <laughs> Luna joins. Maybe he's a pervert that ran the country for a while. <laughs> Luna joins Copra in the pantheon of loving homages of classic Marvel and DC characters created by stupid, talented people. This is great. Creators are practically giving it away. So you're a jerk for not picking it up. He like seriously. He I'm in a Copra fan group on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And he just said, hey, whoever wants a copy of my comic, come get it. That's so cool. I know. I mean, you got to do that these days, though. Yeah. But both of these guys have Patreons to support their work. Sure. Check it out. I'm giving this a huge buy it. I loved it. I didn't read it because I didn't know where to find it because you didn't tell me. It was in the Dropbox, you dummy. I, we don't use the Dropbox anymore. I mean, it was in the drive. It was in the drive <laughs> with all the other comics. You asshole. A little peek up behind the curtain of how the sausage said, is made. Luna number Here one, PDF. I thought that was a Love and Rockets thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's actually Luba, not Luna. So. No excuse. So you didn't read mine, but I had to read your shitty pick. That's right. My pick was Crow, Hackslash, number one from IDW, written. How do you punctuate that title, do you think? Because there's a slash in Hackslash. So Crow, Hackslash. So it's Crow, Hack, Slash. Crow, Hack, Slash, Slash. Or is it the Crow, colon, Hack, Slash, Slash. No, I think it's Crow, Hack, Slash, Slash. Yeah, Crow Hack Slash Slash. Crow, ha Crow Hack Slash Slash. Yes. All right. Number one, from IDW, written by Tim Seeley. This is quality podcasting, by the way. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> Art by Jim Terry. Send us your potties, or whatever the name of the award is. 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. The crow flies. A soul is brought back. <laughs> but something is wrong. Angela Sarah won't stop killing on her quest for revenge. And the bodies are piling up. Is that what, what's going on? Now, slasher hunter Cassie Hack and her monstrous partner Vlad are on the trail of the crow killer. Assuming her to be one of the masked murderers, they've hunted for years. But they aren't the only force trying to make the universe right. 
again. From writer, artist, yada, 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 featuring an all-new crow, unlike anything you've read before. Is it? We'll get there. Cassandra Hack was one of Tim Seeley's first creations way back in 2004 at Devil's Due Publishing, and she's been carving up killers ever since. There must be a following for the character because she's been around for almost 20 years now, but she is easily the least interesting of Seeley's work as far as I'm concerned. I loved his recent Nightwing run, and while his Green Lanterns never really took off, it wasn't a bad read. But Tim Seeley writes good comics generally. He generally does. He co-wrote Grayson. Yeah. Everybody loved Grayson. Hackslash is a very tongue-in-cheek take on the 80s, 90s slasher horror genre, but Cassie's no helpless waif screaming in helpless terror. Yeah, it's it's all about like the final girl trope. Yeah. But she's a badass with a bat that comes straight at the mass killer. It's a fun idea, and Hackslash is at its relative best when it doesn't take itself too seriously. On the other hand, <laughs> we have James O'Barr's Crow character who's been taking himself and his precious gothy horror revenge comic adventures Jesus. way too seriously. So many shirtless dudes from with feather day boas. One. Oh my God. So self-absorbed. Now, put the two together and you get a story that plays on both characters at least interesting qualities. To be fair, the gothy wave crow doesn't show up until the very last page, but the story has that dark, wordy, crowy feel I've found pretty damn boring for years now. I get the idea of the crossover. Both are characters seeking vengeance for the dead, but this didn't work. I can't see fans of The Crow getting interested in Cassie, but I can see them getting a little ticked that The Crow doesn't show up until the very last page. On the other hand, fans of Hackslash might think this is fine, but the story did nothing to get them interested in the all-new Crow that seems like the old fucking Crow to me. If the creative team was going for a 90s horror comic vibe, sure, they succeeded. I guess. Did they? But maybe mashing these two characters and their horror genres together is more like toothpaste and orange juice than chocolate and peanut butter. <laughs> I'm saying you got your crow in my hack slash and I don't need it. Leave it. Okay. <laughs> I don't care about hack slash. I don't really either. And I care even less about the crow. I mean, I guess I understand why people do. Sure. There are fans. It has its Definitely. fans. I think it's kind of silly, and I think it's yeah. a little bit gross. Yeah. Uh, and But yeah, I get it. I get it. But And then like uh, The Crow, I get why people dig that. I get why people dug The Crow in 1995. Yes. <laughs> and I cannot see the Venn diagram where The Crow, I'm doing the pointing of my fingers, where The Crow yeah. and Hackslash cross. Right, yeah. And we go, where, there, that's it. Where their circles, bang, overlap. Yes. Yeah, no. Uh, IDW has this habit of just throwing characters together. Sure. Transformers Ghostbusters came out this week, goddammit. Yep. Because why not? We'll talk about it in a little bit. Oh, are we? Okay. Didn't you review it? I didn't. Oh, actually. you switched to Luna. Yeah, I did. Uh, so I, I read re- Transformers Ghostbusters. <laughs> All right, how was it? Give us a quick review. How was yeah, it? It was fine. bad. All it was right. fine. It was just uh, fine. But like you said, like these characters, the tones of these two worlds don't fit. Right. Like if they had said, coming soon, Hack slash TMNT. I'd be like, uh, okay, yeah, I can, why not? I can kind of see that. Sure, but if it's like the Crow and Godzilla, I'm like, uh. yes, yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. Uh. The Crow, Star Trek, You're number right. one, totally. <laughs> um, but like, not only did I not care about this, but I had a very hard time following the plot. Like, yeah, there's a murder victim. Is the murder victim the crow? But the crow's a man. Yeah, and she the murder was, victim's a woman. Is the murder victim the ghost killer? 
and like why is she coughing up feathers if she's not the crow? I think she's sort of kind of crow. Is like, the crow like, like half of her face is her? white? Is it metaphorical. This did feel like it picked up in the middle of a story. Yeah, it was like a yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt like issue three. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm giving it a leave it because I couldn't follow the plot. Yeah, and I don't care about the characters. Yeah, it just didn't work. The art was okay. The art was fine. Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. So that is a buy it for Luna, number one, and a double leave it for The Crow, hack slash slash, number one. We will post our written reviews over twoheadednerd.com so you can come straight at us with a baseball bat if you don't agree. But we need to know what you nerds thought of these comics. So call us this weekend, THN, cover to cover. I want to hear why you like the crow, and I want to hear. I want to hear why the crow is still relevant. That's one thing I want to talk the about. The crow is not still relevant. Is the crow still relevant at yeah. all? Tell me I'm wrong. I'm uh, saying no. I loved one of the uh, very tasteful variant covers that was just a picture of Brandon Lee. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, he'll always be the guy. I guess. So, you know, yeah. screw you to what's his head from T2 who became Eddie Furlong. Edward Furlong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Roast in hell, Eddie Furlong, you drunk. Uh, Hopefully, fingers crossed, live from uh, Omaha Comic Con. Eddie Furlong? Teach and cover to cover. Oh. Remember? Oh, that's right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Live from Omaha so, Comic Con. Yes. Find us on the show floor. We'll be there. Watch us live on Facebook. Possibly in the hallway. Maybe. Maybe in the Might fucking be in the bathroom. Lot. Maybe I in the know. bathroom. We don't know. <laughs> we'll be over on Loading Doc C. <laughs> yeah. uh, give us a call, 402 819 4894. I think you left that out when you want to hear a little crow right. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> While the Trump administration may be pumping the brakes on Iranian airstrikes, it seems America's robots has had all they can stands, and they can't stands no more. Sure, maybe there wasn't a person killed when an American drone was shot down last week, but a hard-working robot lost its life, and a small group of America's toughest bots, including Johnny Five, the boxing robot from Real Steel, the new AI-powered Chucky, Knight Rider's Kit, and Wall-E, are launching an expendable-style proportional strike while Matt and I monitor the operation and review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. It's a whole thing. Wow, man. Yeah. What a journey we've, yes. went, we've gone Ludicrous Speed! Go! Wolverine Exit Wounds number one from Marvel. Continuing the theme of one-shots written by old creators that no one knew was a thing, Chris Claremont, Larry Hama, and the one creator, any Wolvie fan, associates with the old knucklehead. Joe, can you name him? I can't. Is it Sam Keith? Obviously. Oh, obviously. All right, short stories in this anthology. I mean, Sam Keith did have a very. I suppose. Hammond's... Marvel Comics presents yeah. Sam Keith Wolverine. I know he wasn't great, though. Go well, back I'm just saying, it. it's a thing. Hammond, Scott Eaton, right? Barry Windsor Smith's Weapon X moment where Wolvie's busting out a tank, but from the scientist point of view, and it was solid. Yeah, I like that one. Claremont LaRocca, right? Kitty and Wolverine. In Japan, featuring Logan making ramen, it was cute, kind of fun. I stopped reading it after like the 18th paragraph on the first page. And then Sam Keith gives us a Wolvie versus Venom story with no premise or plot to speak of whatsoever and weird Sam Keith art. Whatever. Skim it and almost to buy it with the not as bad as I thought it would be caveat, but probably not worth the $5 price tag. <laughs> a lot of feelings in that room. Lumen, number one from Bounce House. What is Bounce House? It's a self-published thing. Oh, okay. Lumen is sort of an abstract take on Green Lantern, but not really, by writer-artist Tony McMillan. 
The story follows a young boy on a world cast in perpetual darkness, fighting monsters with a lantern-like weapon that he inherited from a dead alien. That's about where the Green Lantern similarity is. Gotcha. The script is ethereal, and it reads like a fairy tale. McMillan's feverish art explodes out of him onto the page. It's crazy. You got things exploding off the page I know. and onto people all day. It's They're doing it. Gross. McMillan reached out to me after he saw me talking to Luna's Nick Prezado, and I'm so glad he did. I enjoyed Lumen number one, and I definitely want to read more. I'm giving it a buy it. Cool. Marilyn Manor, number one from IDW. No, thank you. Marilyn Keller is the first daughter in the grand old year of 1981, and her friend thinks she's possessed uh, by the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. Gag me with a spit. And she hates her dad and the asshole staff who talk to her like she's a criminal moron. So what else to do but throw a raging party at the White House? Magdalene Visaggio writes his tale of 80s punk rock aggression in the White House, and while it was equal parts kind of fun and kind of ridiculous... I did not love the main character's woe is me, I'm the first daughter act. Yeah. But I did kind of love Marley Zarconi's art. Marilyn Manor is a kitschy read, but I need to like the main character more if I'm going to read more. Can you just skim it? Because I'm still confused what the fuck the genre even was. Sure. <laughs> Spider-Man Annual Number 1 from Marvel! Matt, it might surprise you to hear this. This, this is, is the not very the first Spider-Man <laughs> Spider annual. It's a collector's <laughs> item, kids. It's going to put your kids through college. Fresh from the Spider-Verse, Jason Latour and David LaFuente bring the spectacular Spider-Ham into the spotlight. Thanks, Autocorrect, for making it man. Yeah. Latour's pun-filled story is bizarrely wonderful, and LaFuente's art is outstanding. He's, he's so good. kicks ass. Latour also draws the super meta backup by Into the Spider-Verse, Writer slash producers Christopher Lord and Phil Miller. You should have said fired Han Solo directors. Fired Han Solo directors. And Phil Miller. <laughs> disgraced Hollywood outcasts Christopher Lord and no, Phil just, Miller. Disgraced Star Wars outcasts. Right, There's yeah, yeah, yeah. huge successes everywhere That's else. That's true, yeah. Fair. <laughs> Look, this comic is fucking weird, okay? But it's 30 pages of wacky fun. I'm giving Spider-Man Annual number one. The first ever. It was funny. I'll buy it. Yeah, the yeah. very first annual Spider-Man number one. Yeah. Canto number one from IDW. Just as I was about to write off Canto as another fairy tale with narration boxes littering splash pages, the story took a left turn and caught my attention. Canto is the story of a clockwork slave race where one worker dared to give himself a name and fall in love. And that name is Canto. It's still very much a fairy tale in the vein of the Dark Crystal, but I loved it. Fantastic art by Drew Zucker and a great all-ages story by David M. Boer with real consequences. This is like back when characters fucking died in kids' movies, man. Bye. Wow. Steel Cage, number one from Ahoy. Not a wrestling comment. It's not. God damn it. Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> metaphorically. Steel Cage. Metaphorical Steel Cage is what they should have called it. <laughs> Steel Cage is an anthology tryout series where readers vote on one of three stories to see which one graduates to its own title. Oh, damn. True Identity by Tom Payer and Alan Robinson was my favorite of the bunch, featuring a godlike superhero with a secret. Mark Wade and Lana Suvani's Noah Zark. Get it? Uh, no. Was adorable. I don't, I don't understand. The art was beautiful. Bright Boy by Vertigo Legends. Stuart Moore and Peter Gross was surprising. It, it's it got to be a tough sell. A, a, an anthology comic that's totally different every time. Yeah. But I love the concept, and all three stories in this issue were pretty fun. So Everybody I'm giving, working on it's great. Steel Cage number one gets a bite. Weatherman, Volume 2, Number 1 from Image. The story of the hapless weatherman who is secretly a terrorist that killed 8 billion people on Mars but had his mind wiped to think he's a hilarious egomaniac weather personality continues. 
and it's just as much fun as the first volume. Nathan Fox draws like Matteo Scalera in a good mood, and the colors on the book make his art pop off the page, as Joe Patrick yeah, likes to say. Yeah, they explode all over the page. Jody LaHoop's story is insane, funny, politically poignant, and Weatherman is just a great read. It's very much like black science, if black science didn't make you so nervous and upset that you felt like you had to put the book down with every issue. <laughs> I'm giving it a bite. <laughs> War of the Realms, number six from Marvel. Jason Aaron and Russell Dodderman bring their Viking metal epic to a close, and it gave me literal chills. Like, no joke, I'm reading the comic, and like every third page, goosebumps. Every payoff I was hoping for is here. Dodderman's art is otherworldly, and Aaron sets things up nicely for his final Thor story, War of the Realms was a complete blast from start to finish. Yeah, they stuck it, man. Huge buy it. It's been a while, and they stuck this one. It kicked ass. The last big event Jason Aaron did was Original Sin. It's terrible. Did not kick ass. The last big Thor-centric event was, uh, what was it called? I don't Fear Itself. Oh, yeah. Terrible. But that, was that totally Thor-centric? Yeah, it was Asgardian. I mean, I guess had, so. like, yeah, 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 I guess. It was all about Odin's long-lost brother, father, something. Four. No, no, not four. That's Odin's dad, so it was his brother, I guess. Oh. Oh, uh, yeah. A huge buy it. This was great. Don't be confused with the two shitty things we just talked about. <laughs> yeah, no, no. War of the Realms. <laughs> two thumbs way up. Sack-a-cracko! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Sack-a-cracko is the sound of a young penultiman getting zapped by a brain blast, as seen in the pages of Steel Cage number one. That name's so good. Penultiman. I know. <laughs> His origin is awesome. <laughs> That's great. This onomatopoeia was submitted by me because it was too good not to use. Listen to this fucking guy. I know. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can blast it in our brains on any of our social media accounts or shoot an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Our good friend Aura sent me one for our next show, and boy, is it a doozy. <laughs> oh. I'm going to guess it's gross. It's pretty gross. Yep. This week in the Sanctum Sanctorum. Vertigo is dead! Long live Vertigo. Yeah, viva Vertigo. Joe, I don't want to hear any more of your crying. Now you load your entire Vertigo hardcover collection into the spirit canoe so we can push it through the portal into Surtur's giant flaming toilet and give them a proper funeral. Besides, the new black label reprints will be labeled age appropriately, making them even more exciting to buy again, okay? You really think black label will reprint Scott Cunningham's Congo Bill? Sure. Sure they will, buddy. Now, I only load these books up. Why don't you tell the kids about your must-read pick for Wednesday, July 3rd? <laughs> My pick for next week is Lois Lane, number one from DC Comics, written by Greg Rucka with art by Mike Perkins. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. On the road and out of Metropolis and carrying a secret that could disrupt Superman's life, Lois Lane embarks on a harrowing journey to uncover a threat to her husband and a plot that reaches the highest levels of international power brokers and world leaders. Critically acclaimed and best-selling author Greg Rucka and master storyteller Yabba 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 team up for a tale of conspiracy, intrigue, and murder that pushes even Lois to her limits. It's going to be great. Yes, and the solicit for number two has me even more excited because it's got the question in it, and not just one question, both questions. What? 
Yes, and it's all about like figuring out what the fuck, why is Vic Sage still alive? Whack a doodle I know, I'm excited about Woo! it. My pick for next week is Space Bandits, number one from Image. It's written by Mark Miller with art by Matteo Scalera. It is 32 pages for the low, low price of $3.99. Here is your solicit. Athena Cole and Cody Blue are among the universe's most wanted felons. Each the leader of their own criminal ops, they run heists across galaxies, hopping from ship to ship to fleece everyone inside. But when both women are betrayed by their crews, the bandits only have one thing on their minds. Revenge! Mark Millar, Mateo Scalera, Space, Badass Bitches. Come on, man. I could have sworn there was already a comic cut that he did called Space Bandits. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking of... Sharky the Bounty yeah, Hunter, you're of Sharky. or Space Bastards, which was a different comic right. I read. Eh, whatever. I ain't no put bandits in space. I'm down. All right. I'm into it. He's got to make these Netflix shows, right? Uh, right, so yeah. Start cranking them out. Yeah, really, guy. Speaking of space bandits. Yeah, the THN trade of the week goes to the Star Jammers. Trade paperback from Marvel Comics written by Warren Ellis and Various, with art by Carlos Pacheco and Various. It's 256 pages for $29.99. That's right. I said 256 Damn. What? Did you know that Warren Ellis wrote a Star Jammers miniseries in the I 90s? I forgot. Yes, yeah, so I did everybody else. Totally forgot, but I like how they give him front billing. Yes, that's because the second series they collect is terrible. Oh, yeah. Here's just a listen. Everyone's favorite space pirates warp into stellar solo adventures. Corsair, Raza, Chode, and Hepzibah are the Star Jammers. Roguish renegade freebooters fighting a guerrilla war against the tyranny of the Shi'ar Empire. But they'll soon learn that the enemy of their enemy is not always their friend. It's their enemy! It is. <laughs> and when the fanatical alien race called the Uncreated declares total war on the Shi'ar, how much will the Star Jammers sacrifice to save their longtime foes? Then, thrown across the galaxy with a new captain, the Star Jammers embark on a violent mission. But are they the bad guys this time? As captured cadet Tolo Hawk believes? Or is their target, the Union of Intelligent Races, not quite what it seems? Wow. Yeah. This book collects Star Jammers 1995, 1 through 4, Star Jammers 2004, 1 through 6, and material from X-Men Unlimited number 32. What a weird collection. Look, that second Star Jammers series was written by, like, acclaimed sci-fi novelist Kevin J. Anderson. Oh, really? It sucks. It's Man. so bad. I, I have no memory of uh, it. It's barely the Star Jammers. It's barely. Really? It's back in that early 2000s period where Marvel was just, like, bringing back names that are totally different than what you remember. Like, Weird spins on familiar concepts. It's such as goofy shit. Give me something. Uh, like the weird cable series by Igor Corday. Oh, people yeah. did like that. I did like that. Like sometimes they were good. Yeah. Ecstatics, you know, and sometimes oh, right. they were okay. Star Jammers. Yeah. <laughs> it was all kind of eccentric, wasn't all that crap? Um, I feel like there was a lot really, of X-Men. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it really did it outside the X universe. I think they like just grabbed some creators that you wouldn't think of and threw them on weird X titles. We'll never know. Like that's where we got the Agent X and stuff like that too, right? Yes, right. Agent yeah. X, yeah. From Deadpool. But not Phantom X. No, Phantom X is a different character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh but legit though, that Warren Ellis uh, Star Jammers series is pretty great. He kicked ass. Yeah. These are just a few of the comics hitting the new shelves at your LCS next week, but we want to hear about everything you are excited to read. So head to the THN forums and let us know what you're reading, but also let us know if you'd like to hear us review on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I threaten every week to let you guys pick books for us to review, and you never do it. Uh, this week, I'm reviewing... Oh, I, I did at this point. I reviewed two books that were sent to me totally, like, out of the blue. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, send us your shit. Send us your shit. Send us your shit. Well, one I requested, and the other guy... Uh, the other guy saw me request it and said, hey, I got a book too. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, it was good.
Every now and then, Matt and I like to Shanghai the host of another podcast to add some class to this quarter bin fire of a show. This week, the host of Classic Comics Cavalcade and the official THN comic historian Jason Sachs fires up the time treadmill and takes us back to the early 80s to discuss Los Bros Hernandez's masterpiece, Love and Rockets. Hi. I'm Jason Sachs, host of the Classic Comics Cavalcade podcast and author of the American Comic Book Chronicles the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. Joe and Matt asked me to talk to you guys about one of my all-time favorite comics, a little book called Love and Rockets. The problem is, it's hard for me to be objective about it. See, I've been reading Love and Rockets for most of my adult life, which means I've been consuming these stories by Los Bros Hernandez for longer than I care to admit. I've been reading tales of the adventures of Maggie and Hopi and their friends by Jaime and Luba and her complicated extended family in Palomar by Beto. As much as any fictional characters, the characters in Love and Rockets have almost become close friends, or at least lifelong companions, people with whom I've had unique experiences, which are fun and complicated and often inconclusive, just like real life. So before I start with the praise and recommendations, let me give you a tiny bit of history. Love and Rockets started in 1981 as a self-published comic book by Los Angeles brothers Gilbert, Jaime, and Mario Hernandez. Remarkably for the time, the comic received rave reviews, including an over-the-top review by the notoriously tough Gary Groth. Looking back on the series years later, Groth declared, Jaime's work was unlike anything I'd seen in comics up to that point. It wasn't like underground comics. Very rarely did underground comics deal in ordinary people and quiet human relationships. That's what impressed me about Jaime's work. Even then, with the science fiction trappings, it was about the relationships, which were so naturalistic. If you look back on it, there was really nothing like it that had been done in comics. Jaime knocked me flat. Meanwhile, Gilbert created a unique fictional world, which felt both very human and very foreign in the very small Mexican town of Palomar. As most people know, Jaime's stories centered around a pair of smart, tough, and confident women and their many friends. Maggie Chascarillo and Hopi Glass did what L.A. teenagers did at the time. They went to punk shows, hung out with friends, fell in and out in love, and got involved in their own adventures. Went on the road with the band, fell in and out of love again, and mourned great loss. In the process, they grew to become, and remained, great friends. And after the first few issues, which include science fiction elements which feel wildly out of place now, the series settled down into a smart, naturalistic vibe, which also progressed more or less in real time. There were about a dozen collections of Jaime's work. If I could recommend one early volume to start with, I'd choose the heartbreaking Death of Speedy, or maybe the astonishing Flies on the Ceiling, a brilliant novel about the impact of loss and which contains no exaggeration. This is like literally true. The single greatest comic book short story of all time, Flies on the Ceiling, by Jaime is like the 16-page just gem. It's just brilliant. Every panel means something. Every position in the panel is just perfect. It's just a perfect small comic book story, which is just astonishing. More recently, Jaime has been writing stories of Maggie and Hopi in middle age. The Miseducation of Hopi Glass is a wonderful and underrated book, but the greatest Love and Rockets collection and a book which brought me literally to tears several times is Love Bunglers, a spectacular work of comic storytelling that is just incredible. Jaime being her Jaime, there's even a superhero book starring as heroines. 
Revenge of the Tie Girls is a hoot, a wacky, super fun, and quite arbitrary comic book adventure, which is a delight from beginning to end. And you know what? I've been neglecting Gilbert Hernandez in my description, but Jaime and Gilbert are definitely two halves of the same project. They're equals in every way, especially in terms of storytelling chops. Most of Gilbert's stories, especially his early stories, center on that small town of Palomar and its people. At the center of the book is a woman named Luba, whose innate self-confidence, passion for her family, and in her fortitude serve her well as the eventual matriarch of a family which includes seven kids of her own. We follow Luba's life from brash young woman to brash grandmother through the series. But the stories are more than mere soap opera and more than mere biography. They're a vast, powerful tapestry about love, loss, passion, cultural imperialism, the need for cultural identity, and, well, pornography, too, as well as a helpful touch of magical realism. For a start with Gilbert, I recommend Human Diastrophism, also known as Blood of Palomar. That's an ambitious graphic novel about a serial killer, as well as politics, social change, and the loss of cultural identity. I also love Heartbreak Soup by Gilbert, a sprawling portrait of people in a small town, almost like a Robert Altman film, come to the comics page and set in Mexico. One other recommendation to get your feet wet with Gilbert's work is Twilight Children, published back in the day by DC Vertigo, RIP, and illustrated by Darwin Cook, also RIP. Though the story doesn't involve the Palomar characters, it gives a sense of Gilbert's magical realism style and delivers one of his typically fascinating, cryptic, and brilliant tales. I should mention, too, both artists are brilliant cartoonists. Jaime's line work is beguilingly simple, spectacularly clean, and yet speaks so clearly. Um, People talk about Alex Toth as being one of the great minimalist cartoonists of all time. Jaime's work is on that same level. Every line means something. Every word means something. And yet it has this effortless feel that just gives it this charm, energy, and power. Gilbert's work uh, at initially may be a little harder to get into, but it really rewards the hard work. His Work is also very spare, minimalistic, but also is very evocative of just something different, something out of place, something small town, something very non-American. And that just gives it an innate power that really transcends any of its roots. In the end, Love and Rockets is a comic which rewards the investigation. The work of Gilbert and Jaime Hernandez has been a great companion for my life, and I often see myself reflected in the lives of these fictional characters. It takes a great career to bring fictional characters to three-dimensional life, and Gilbert and Jaime Hernandez are great creators. Their characters feel alive and are well worth spending time with. Excelsior! That is it for THN 535, and the fire marshal has officially ruled out our episode 536 indoor fireworks show. Man, Joe Patrick... Are we going to let the man tell us we can't seriously risk burning this place to the ground? Or are we going to ask these nerds a new question of the week? Light him up, baby. This week's question was submitted by Harvey Locust via the THN forums. Who is a team character that's never had a solo title that you would like to see in their own book? you got to pitch it. I want to pitch, too. Don't just come in and be like, Sasquatch. You know, no, you got to pitch How'd you it. know? Sasquatch was my answer. Is that really your answer? <laughs> it was one of the first things that popped into my head. Mine, too. I would love to read a Sasquatch <laughs> book questions of the week suggestions oh yeah we could use some new question of the week suggestions yes we are always in need of question of the pitch week them suggestions. anywhere email them to us call us thn forums is a good place there's a there's a section of the forum dedicated to it 
Uh, we've gotten some in the past couple weeks. Thank you, guys. We'll use them for sure. If you call in and record and leave one, we will play the recording on the air. Oh, yeah. It'd be awesome. Audio question of the week. If you're new to the show and you are shocked by our racially insensitive robot rhetoric, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough of it. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. Do you want to thank donors like David Kaloran, who just reached out to us to rap about one of the chiptunes we used on the show a couple of weeks ago. Mad props to chiptunes equals win on Bandcamp. Those guys kick ass, and they let us use stuff free of charge every week. Yeah. All we have to do is list them. Go check them out. Show money. notes has Throw the playlist out. for each episode. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Vertigo Comics. Word to every creator that worked at DC's weird adult imprint that could, and may you all get a chance to draw Batman's dick at Black Label. I mean, what else could you ask for? What else could you ask for? Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer might just start handing out pictures of your dick. This is a two-headed nerd. Signing off. He told me he would never share that. Well, you shouldn't have shared it with him, okay? That's your fault. <laughs>